At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Followers Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Open your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 13. If you remember, we've been in a series on what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a culture that is anti-Jesus, in a world that is uh, against and hostile often to the message of the gospel. And we've been studying how, though it's difficult, it is possible for you and I to follow Jesus if we allow Christ himself to be our example. He comes as our Savior, but he also comes to model for us what it means to be faithful to the Lord as we honor the Father. Now, when we were together last time, we had opened up John chapter 13 in this washing of the feet of the disciples. And what is interesting about this section of Scripture is it's called the farewell discourse. It's called the farewell discourse because, as John records it, it's the final kind of instructional moment that Jesus has with his disciples before he heads to that cross, where he will die, not the death of a thief or a robber or a criminal, but the death of the sinless lamb of God dying on our behalf as an act of love, his substitution for our sin. We were guilty, but as God the Father, the judge of heaven, raises the gavel of heaven to render the verdict, Jesus steps in and says, though they are guilty, I will take upon them, uh, upon me their punishment and in exchange give them my innocence. Aren't you glad that we can stand before the Father, not of our marriage, but because of what the Son has done, as we just sang, what He's done, and we can stand before Him righteous, holy, and redeemed because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many praise God for that? Now John opens up what uh, is really a dialogue that is happening during Holy Week. Most Bible scholars will say that this dialogue that goes from chapter 13 through 17 is happening all in one evening. It's happening on Thursday of Holy Week, right before what we call Good Friday that leads into Silent Saturday and ultimately culminates in Resurrection Sunday morning. Here Jesus is and in spite of his power knowing that he had come from God and he was going back to God you would think that he was going to display his strength in a miracle or a sign or a wonder but he demonstrates his strength by washing their feet it's a humbling thing and I think it was designed to be just that the act of Jesus washing their feet, the Lord of glory, putting a towel around his waist, washing their feet, drying it off. It convicts me and maybe you as well, hopefully all of us, that if he can wash feet, so can I. Not only literally, but figuratively, how many opportunities do we have to serve those that are in need? And I don't know about you, but I often miss those moments and and blow those opportunities. And I think that's what Jesus was after. He wanted us to have something by way of his example that deepened our humility. 
But there's a second thing that Jesus is doing. He is not simply trying to make us more humble, but in many ways in this dialogue, he is defining the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do we know who we follow? How do we know what a disciple is? Well, Jesus defines it, and I want you to look at verses 33 through 35. And what's amazing to me is he could have defined it a whole myriad of ways, but look at how he defines what it means to be a disciple. Verse 33, when you're there, say a big amen. Amen. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I want you to see how he defines the Christian faith, but I first want to show you how he did not define the Christian faith. The platter is set for him. He could have defined it any myriad of ways, but I want you to notice first that he did not define the Christian faith politically. Notice that he didn't say that by your ballot shall all men know that you are my disciples. By your partisan politics, by your political party. That's not to say that policy issues are unimportant. They are. From the protection of life in the womb to the supporting of the poor to the caring for immigrants. All of it is is so, so important. But yet it is to say that Jesus assembles men and women as followers of his that are from different political persuasions. Look at the disciples themselves from across the spectrum, but what unites them is faith in Jesus Christ and this declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that is ultimately what he is trying to bring us to. Notice also that he did not define what it means to be a follower of his ethnically. Notice he could have defined it ethnically, couldn't he? Couldn't he say by the village you're born in, the race you're born in, by your skin color, people will know that you are mine, but he chose not to define it that way. Yeah, he could have defined it politically or ethnically or geographically, but instead he defines it socially. He defines it relationally. He defines it compassionately. By this will all men know you are my disciples based off of how you love one another. And again, that is humbling and convicting because when I think about him being the standard of love, I realize that I fall so woefully short. And Jesus illustrates sermons better than anyone And he doesn't need props to do it. He doesn't reach into a bag of tricks and pull out some props to illustrate what he's about to say. He has people, disciples right in front of him, and they're they're the only illustration he really needs. And and this leads into the Lord's Supper, and there's three people that we're going to highlight today. Though there were many around that table that night, his intimate followers, there are three that I want to highlight, Judas, Peter, and Jesus himself. To contrast how we can live our lives and where that will lead compared to if we follow Jesus. The first point that I want to make is illustrated through the life of Jesus. 
that the self-interest that follows Satan, when we are driven by our self-interest, make no mistake about it, we will end up following the way of Satan. Look at what it says in verse 21. In chapter 13, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom he loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. I want to pause there for just a moment, and I want you to see this scene. It is so interesting to me, so profound to me that it, it merits our attention. Jesus is sitting, having a meal with his disciples, and he is troubled in spirit, not because he does not know what's about to happen, but because he does know what's about to happen. Jesus knew all things. As the second person of the Godhead, he is omniscient, all-knowing, and he knew that he was going to be betrayed, but what grieves him in spirit is he prepares now for the verdict of his, his ministry, the mission for which he came, that death on the cross, is that now he has to announce to this band of brothers of his that one of them is a betrayer, that one of them is a false disciple. Make no mistake about it, you're not a disciple just because you have a necklace with a cross on it around your neck. You're not a disciple just because you got a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. You're not a disciple just because you go to church. I wish I could tell you you were. But the fact of the matter is what proves whether or not we are his disciples is our love one for another starting with him, motivated by him. As a matter of fact, it is our love for him that allows us to love one another. And so Jesus has these men sitting around the table, and I want you to picture the moment. Jesus announces, one of you are going to betray me. And I appreciate their uncertainty. They're all uncertain. Who is it? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it, is it him? Who, who is it? And I think there is a fair share of uncertainty we should all have about our potential to betray Jesus. Because all of us have the potential of being Judas. Don't, don't ever get to the point where you think that I would never be Judas. Don't ever get to the point where you say to yourself, I would never go that way, betray Jesus in that way, or commit that type of sin. There is a temptation, friends, that unless God strengthens you in the face of or shields you from that all of us would give in to. And maybe it's not the same temptation. For some, it's drugs or alcohol. For others, they say, that's not my struggle. For some, it might be money or opportunity. For others, it might be sex or, or lust, whatever the case may be. But by the grace of God, there go I, I and you, we all had the potential of being Judas. And, and I love Peter. Peter is, 
is uh, so much like me. He lives by the principle of life. When in doubt, when you don't know what to do, just do something. So Peter looks over and he sees John, who refers to himself in humble terms, not by name directly, but as the beloved disciple. He sees John leaning up against Jesus or eating near him, reclining near him. And I can just picture it now, Peter motioning across the table saying, John, you ask him, which one, which one? And so John leans back, Lord, which one? And Jesus says, the one that that eats this bread, this morsel of bread, after I dip it, that's the one. Now imagine now Judas. Jesus has announced publicly somebody's betraying me. You know it's you that's betraying him. And yet, you refuse to confess or repent. It was his moment, and he missed it. And the Bible says that he missed that moment of confession or repentance. He took the bread and Satan filled him or took over influence in his life. Some of you that are sitting here today are Judas. You know, you know the act of betrayal. Maybe maybe you haven't done it yet, but maybe like Judas, you've planned it out. The plot, the scheme has already been written out. Maybe you haven't committed the adulterous affair yet, but you've already planned it out. Maybe you have not betrayed the trust of others, but you've already planned it out. Maybe you haven't acted on it yet, but it's already planned. This is your moment. Don't miss your moment to confess your sins. You know, there is no major difference between Peter and Judas. They both denied Jesus, both betrayed. But the difference between the two men is that one, Peter confessed and repented through tears and wailing after his betrayal of the Lord. He cried out for forgiveness. Don't miss your moment to confess and repent. We all know what it's like to be caught in sin. And you know, if you're a parent, there are times when your kids and their sin is even humorous to you. Have you ever caught a kid red-handed and they still denied that it was them? I mean, crumbs all over their face. Who ate the last cookie? I have no idea, Dad, who ate the last cookie. Anybody ever been through that before? I remember one of my children who, for their protection, will remain nameless. Uh, They were young at the time, just a toddler, and we were in the potty training season, and I was asleep in the bed, and my wife uh, was awake, and she was with uh, the little one, and uh, uh, they got separated a little bit, and the little one was standing next to the bed, diaper around the ankles, had peed on the floor. My wife comes in and says, did you do that? And in a moment of sinfulness, pointed at me and said, no, daddy did it. I couldn't believe it. I've been betrayed on the highest level. Here I am, innocent and sleep. I woke up, looked at my wife and said, it was not me. I promise you, I got issues, but that ain't one. It's cute when it's kids. It's not cute when it's adults. And as a result of that sin, lives are going to be damaged. People are going to be hurt. Ruin is going to come. Maybe to a family, maybe to a company, maybe to a church. 
My friends, when you are Judas, your self-interest will cause you to follow Satan. But know this, in his mercy, he presents every single one of us, me and you, with the opportunity to confess and repent. Don't miss it. And then there's Peter. Verse 36 picks up his angle on the story. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Look at Peter. If uh, Judas is is self-interested, Peter is self-confident. And if self-interest causes you to follow Satan, self-confidence causes you to follow the flesh. Here is Peter saying to Jesus, I I, want to follow you wherever you lead. And Jesus says, Peter, you can't follow me now. Not referring so much to a destination as much as to a way through which he would die, that he would die this death on a cross. Later on, Peter would follow him that way. He would actually suffer and die and be crucified. And history tells us Peter, wanting to honor his Lord, not thinking himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord, was actually crucified upside down. But in this moment, Jesus says, it's not your moment, Peter. But Peter being the self-confident man he is, again, living by the principle of life when you don't know what to say, just say anything. (laughs) Says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you even to death. I will die for you. Can't you see the love song behind that one? I would die for you, right? And this is the problem is that Peter, through his poetic language, has convinced himself of something that's just not realistic. It reminds me of the love songs of our day. We got a lot of great love songs, a lot of great ballads of our day. You better be careful listening to the lyrics of these love songs because it might cause you to get an over-romanticized view of marriage and relationships that no one can live up to. Recently, one of my children, who again will remain nameless, introduced me to the lyrics of Bruno Mars. Anybody ever heard of Bruno Mars? He has this song called Just The Way You Are. Listen to these lyrics. Her eyes, her eyes make the stars look like they're not shining. That's a lie. Her hair, her hair falls perfectly without trying. I feel like saying, Bruno, if you knew how much money she spent on that hair and how much time she put into making it look like it's not trying, you would know that's a lot too. It's trying. But people believe these. There's nothing wrong with the poetic language until you get married and you wake up in the morning and you realize her hair don't fall like that all the time. But I digress. The reality is, is that we got to be careful because if we're not, not careful, we'll, we'll be self-deceived. We'll, we'll convince ourselves that these things are true. Peter had convinced himself that he would die for the Lord. And the Lord looks back at him and says, Peter, will you die for me? You don't get it. You're not going to die for me. I am going to die for you. You are the one that needs a savior. 
You see, Peter had forgotten, but by the grace of God, there go I. He had forgotten that I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. Lord, I need thee. He had forgotten that it's the spirit of God that sustains and keeps us, that we are far more dependent upon God than what we even realize, that every moment of every day that we need him. I don't know about you, but I have graduated from the place of just wanting him. I don't wake up on Sunday mornings to get dressed and come to this building because I'm a fan or because it's a fun or nice thing or because Jesus is socially beneficial. I'm not here because I want him. I'm here because I need him. Anybody else with me today that you recognize you need him for the air you breathe. You need him for life, health, strength, and obedience to the will of the Father. Theologian D.A. Carson puts it this way. Tragically, the boast that he would never deny the Lord, even to the point of death, displays not only the gross ignorance of human weakness, but a certain haughty independence that is the seed and root of self-deception itself. Peter was self-deceived. I don't want you to be self-deceived, thinking that somehow you're better than other Christians, that somehow you are better and other people who have fallen short. May we live with a humility that says, God, I need you to keep me. And you know you've stepped over into the realm of self-confidence when you have a prayerless life. A prayerless Christian is a dangerous Christian. A prayerless Christian is a self-confident Christian. But when you find yourself daily in that quiet time with an open Bible, before a resurrected Savior, saying, Lord, help me to live this way. Produce within me the fruit of the Spirit that I cannot produce apart from your Spirit. Then, then are you in your safe place. So if I can't follow the way of Judas or follow the way of Peter, who do I follow? Well, the answer is Jesus. And he shows us what the God-centered life looks like. God-centered life followed Jesus. And it says in verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Underline that title, the Son of Man. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's interesting because the commandment that he calls new seems to be consistent. From Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New, that we are called to love one another. But what makes it new, the kicker of it all, is that he says, just as I have loved you. And that's also what makes it such a high bar because he loved them to the full extent, it says, in the beginning of this chapter. He loved them even to the laying down of his life. Who have we loved that way? Who have we loved sacrificially? Not only to laying down of our lives, but maybe to laying down of our comforts, our conveniences. You know, some of us have denied obedience to God because it would be inconvenient. It would mean that I would have to sacrifice my standard of living or my comforts. 
I don't say that judgmentally. We all struggle with it. But it's time God is calling us to say yes to him. Now, I want you to notice something else, that he talks about this type of sacrificial love, this cross-centered love in a conversation about his glorification. He refers to himself as the son of man. Now, this was Jesus' favorite title for himself. 75 times in the gospel, he refers to himself as the son of man. For those of you who know Bible prophecy, this is taken from Daniel chapter 7, which looks forward to the future where one likened to the Son of Man will stand before the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and be bestowed with glory and with the kingdom. Jesus is standing before them saying, I am him. I am that son of man. And this is my moment to be glorified. The father is going to glorify himself in me as I glorify him and bestowed upon me will be the kingdom. And you and I would think that the road to glory is paved with high moments, one high moment after another. But Jesus demonstrates something different. Stay with me for a moment that the road to glory runs through a cross. And that's hard. It's hard because it doesn't make sense. And that's the point. Is that following God means there are gonna be times when it's not gonna make sense. Jesus knew that he was called to obey the Father in this way, but it did not make sense to his disciples, but he didn't let that detour him. He remained obedient till the end. And there are going to be things that God will call you to do that you can't wait for consensus or a majority vote to do. You're going to have to stand at times with you and God alone on your side. But remember this, you plus God equals a majority. Don't wait till everyone has consensus on God's will for your life. I remember going through college, my parents sacrificed a lot. They both worked two jobs. At one point, my mom was working 80 hours a week to help put her son through college. When I graduated, it was a glorious day for the entire family. I had gotten several internships and a couple of really promising job offers that were waiting for me after I was done with school. A couple with signing bonuses to uh, kick in if I were to agree to go to the company. My parents couldn't be more ecstatic, their investment paid off. Imagine the joy when I came into their room to say, Mom, Dad, God has called me to be a youth pastor. (laughs) You laugh because I think you realize there's a difference in pay scale between going into corporate America and being a youth pastor. My mom began to preach to me from the gospel of common sense. Have you ever read that book? I'm still trying to find it in the Bible. She's a sweet lady, but she said to me, you need to take one of these jobs. I remember my uncles taking me out on the porch saying, you're killing your mother. What are you doing to her? But yet I knew in my heart what God had called me to do. And as hard as it was to look my mom and dad in the eye and to say, I'm sorry, but I got to obey the Lord. I knew I needed to. Years later, um, they both affirmed that I chose the right thing in following Jesus this way. But I couldn't wait for consensus. So friends, what am I saying to you today? I'm saying don't miss your moment to confess and repent. If today is the day where Jesus says, I know you're about to betray me. I know the secret sin of your heart. It may be secret to men, but it's a scandal in heaven. Repent. 
I'm asking you to trust and rely on the power of the Spirit. Put no confidence in the flesh. And I'm asking you to obey God even when others don't understand. And if you do, he will be glorified through your actions and he will glorify himself in your life. Let's all stand. We're going to close in worship. And as the worship team comes to lead us in a song about Christ being our firm foundation, the only one we can trust, I ask you is today your day. If today is your day of repentance and salvation, please don't miss the moment. There'll be leaders here to pray with you. If you're watching online, just type the word connect. But today, let's honor God. Let's glorify him as we trust in Jesus and love one another. Father, I pray that in a world that is marred by political debate, that we would see the humanity of people. I pray in a world in which we're all so busy that we wouldn't be moving so fast that we miss opportunities to serve. And I pray in a world that sends so many confusing messages that we would rely on you, our firm foundation, that uh, we would live in a way that says yes and amen to all that you've called us to do. It's in your mighty name we pray. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.